0: Uh, I'm here with uh, Shabir Rizvi, who is a, a good friend of mine, also a uh, political commentator, um, activist, and, and independent journalist that works with Press TV. Al-maya, I can't say that one correctly. Al-Mahedin. Did I say that correctly? Kind of perfectly. Okay,
1: said kind of Perfect. And some right. other places, but yeah. And,
0: and Fight Back News. I've seen an article that I think you originally wrote for another uh, place on Midwestern Marx. So all over the place. But uh, um, also been a correspondent on Press TV as well. Um so uh before we get into this we're going to talk uh i primarily wanted to go over some of the articles that you've written along with just kind of talking about um, what's been going on in gaza over the past six weeks or so in general um but before we get started here with just having to cover this be on top of this endlessly both on the ground with protests and writing about various aspects of um of what people are calling a war or a conflict but we can probably more easily label an accelerated ethnic cleansing and genocide with, with a lot of, you know, definitions of how things have been going. Um, how, how have you been doing with, with covering all this thing on top of it? And what are some things that have kind of kept you going, kept you kind of being more constructive or just having good mental health, to be honest, what, as, as you continue to have to cover these things and be so um, immersed in, in what's been going on?
1: Yeah, I think the primary strategy, as far as I see it, at least for myself, is I like to like look into what Israeli media is saying and what Israeli state officials are saying. And then contrast that to what's actually happening, because I think that gives a better picture of not only just like the amount of lies that go into kind of the demonization of Palestinians, but also just, I mean, they say one thing, they get called out on it, and then they delete their statement. But then there's no follow-up to it, right? It's like it Mm -hmm. never really happened. And I think it's important to kind of pursue that to the very end because, well, why did you lie in the first place? Um, Why did you fabricate these pictures? Why are you constantly fabricating evidence or claiming things and then not backing them up? And I think as far as my work goes, like, you know, that's the best I can contribute to kind of what's going on and just letting people know about like, hey, Maybe you should actually look into this instead of taking the media's word for it because the media is, is not – the media here like Fox News or CNN and like things like that act as stenographers. They're not going to actually do any level of journalism. They're not going to do any level of investigative reporting. They're just going to – you might as well just listen to Israeli state like officials, and that's the same thing that the media is going to say. Um, And then, of course, as we know, the tactic has always been that, like, you know, say a big lie and then issue like a whimper of a retraction. And so I think the best way for us to kind of expose just the lies that have gone into this is actually dig deeper and see into, like, how has this been able to been, like, carried on for 75 plus years? And it's the same kind of tactic, but, like, it's just not going to fly anymore. And I think, you know, based off how the West is responding to this. You know, we see more and more people year after year join the Palestinian cause in the streets, and now it's gone to like a militant period where you have people shutting down weapons factories, you have people blocking um, Black Friday traffic. Uh, you know, hitting them where it hurts, hitting people, uh, hitting companies and corporations rather that want to continue doing business uh, with, with Israel, um, where it hurts, and it's a, it's a new stage, even for the West, and it's especially a new stage. Um, for the resistance forces itself. I mean, if you look at the October seventh um, operation, many of those people. I don't think a lot of people realize those are the, that was the first time a lot of those fighters were outside of Gaza, right? And that's never really mentioned or talked about. This is the first time they were like outside, outside of a military occupation, um, and they were able to do it, and they were able to succeed, and that never gets mentioned in the story. So the entire thing, you know, their entire strategy has always been look at everything in a vacuum, whether it's their lies, whether it's their claims, everything happens in a vacuum. And I think it should be up to people like you and I to kind of question that.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think um, both from what you've been doing, you know, uh, following just even threads you'll post on, on Twitter or your actual articles or some other people as well um, and various independent news outlets. Um, it's been very eye-opening, I think, for someone like myself and many people like me, that um, you know, you've I've generally known about, obviously, the last seventy-five years from from the Nakba going on and um, various escalations from the Israeli government, um, but but just to see like on the on the propaganda aspect, just how how lazy and bad it is this time around, you know. I think, and that's something I kind of wanted to ask you about um and and dive into both from a couple of your articles and just a few threads that i found from other journalists and things like that but you know you had this list you posted um a couple a couple days ago or a couple maybe a week ago or so that showed all these things that even like like you said they say these loud things and then they then the israeli government or israeli um media or american media as well um Will will say a retraction very ti- like very tiny like off in the corner on a Twitter post or not at all right um, and you know I I that's not something new from any of these governments but I think people are noticing it a lot more and it's making people a lot more as you um, big aspects at large a lot of people in the West be a lot more critical of these things which is something I've been saying since October seventh is the second you saw um, the coverage of it is you know. B, you know, you need to be militant in your media literacy on this stuff because you're going to have everything thrown at you from from things talking about, you know, 40 decapitated babies to, to you know, just like that every single person that was killed by IDF and Crossfire was, was all the part of um, Hamas or everything in between or like some of the more, um, you know, like booby trapped school bags, you know, like all these things that like they are fact checked very quickly, and even a few of those, the Israeli government had to come out and say, like, actually, there's no evidence for this. We just kind of one one person reported it, and so then we ran with it. But then nobody pays attention to that. But to, after a little bit of rambling, there, um, you know, in in the context of war and stenographers for war, both in the United States, Western media and Israeli media, um, you know, you and I have have talked about this in a previous episode about about propaganda with with military and 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 kind of the things that have opened our eyes and anti-war movements in the past Um, you know i think the the last escalation of things like this for for the western media was was iraq right and i think it was very effective for people in the same way that um, in the west a lot of the israeli propaganda for a long time was effective in in the overall you know mainstream public opinion on the state of israel state of you know Palestinian oppression and all those kinds of things what what do you kind of contribute to now they're kind of being this over the hill moment of where all these things they used to do for the iraq war the ongoing occupation in gaza why is that not landing with people anymore is it like they had it so good for so long with with this kind of you know surface level stuff working is it that people have more access to on the ground videos and 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 uh, reporting that really show the reality what do you kind of contribute to the difference between public opinion during previous war kind of propaganda and now
1: i think the primary source of on the ground media and is on the ground just like people sharing their experiences plays the largest role because this star this sort of stuff wasn't available to anyone uh years ago um it kind of started surfacing during you know the nato invasion of uh, Libya, but like for example, if, if there were like on the ground, you know, uh, recordings of of the Iraq invasion or even of of Afghanistan, um, I think people would have perceived those wars a lot more differently, a lot more quickly uh, than you know us, the United States, being um, being dragged into these decades long quagmires that really didn't help the U.S. you know cause at least globally a lot. In fact, it backfired superbly. Um, and I think when it comes to the Palestinian issue, um, the primary you know sources are great. I mean, because now journalists even, right, you can just flip on a camera and just let the world see through your eyes what's happening. And that sort okay. of stuff is hard to ignore because with just how social media works and other forms of media, like journalists have to like other news corporations have to pick up on this. It's news. And. You know, sometimes we see it on the BBC, for example. Sometimes you might see it on CNN. They mostly try to toe the the U.S. political line, which is the, you know, essentially the Israeli line. Um, But just how with how popular things get, they're forced into it. They have to report on it at some times. And if they don't report on it, well, then that raises questions because this is a viral thing that's happening. Like, you know, thousands of Palestinians are telling you this is happening. Why aren't you reporting on it? And then that raises even more questions. Why does our media act the way it does? Why is our media so on the side of one thing and not, you know, creating, a, in their own words, a balanced view? I don't actually don't even believe in a balanced view anymore because that's just liberal speak. A balanced view is just like trying to portray both of these, you know, sides of things as common aggressors when that's that's not the case at all. One is conducting asymmetrical warfare. One is using their UN given right to defend themselves, an, uh, an occupied people versus an occupier by any means necessary, but they never frame it that way. And they never even bring up the UN resolution. And so all this to say, the the primary sources combined with just how fast intelligence moves now through social channels is probably creating the best impact possible. Um, there's no way to block it. And if they do block it, again, this backfires extremely, right? Because now we have right. journalists also saying like, hey, I posted this on Instagram and my account got deleted that raises questions because then you start asking not only the same way that, you know, mainstream media refuses to report on certain things, but then you're also having the social media platforms show their true face. Well, why don't you allow this information on there? Why is one side allowed to conduct this information while the other isn't? And these are are allowing people to connect the dots pretty quickly as to who the common enemy is here. Who, how do their, uh, how does the suppression of Westerners kind of Fall in line with the actual suppression of Palestinians right and it's the fact that we're all fighting the same machine the same machine of imperialism and a lot of people are waking up to that a lot of people are now seeing for example that Israeli defense quote-unquote forces train the same police in the United States to oppress them uh, a lot of people are seeing that their tax money goes into Israel while Israelis enjoy for example Medicare for all like med- medical health benefits Americans here have to pay $3,000 for an ambulance ride. And that's even before kind of in, uh, before they even get to the emergency room, right? So this new stage of information access is allowing people to make their own decisions. Now, what, what they choose to do with that information, you know, that's still a battle to be won. There's going to be people that are going to be obviously dug into the hard line, you know, reactionary side for whatever reason, whether it's their own self-benefit, whether they're indoctrinated, um, whether they just don't care. Um, of course, there's going to be them, but there's always going to be the people that, if you hadn't talked to them about it, they wouldn't have known. And I think it's important that that category of people is the most important because they're seeing things in a completely, in an actually balanced way at first, like not balanced rather, but like a clean slate. And they're yeah. just being shown this level of carnage being conducted by one side, which previously would have never been framed that way. Um, And i like to actually bring this up too, because yesterday I was reading the Sun-Times. I don't know. i like to read the Sun-Times just to like kind of get their like point of view from things. Like this is how they want Mm. to cater to their audience. Um, They were talking about the the Black Friday protests that were happening downtown yesterday, Um, you know, the Palestinian protests. And it took them like, I think it was five paragraphs to even mention the word Israel. Five paragraphs in is when they mentioned the word Israel. Before that, they had to lay the ground about like, you know, why people are angry? Why they should feel angry? All these weird nuances, but they won't even say it, right? It's weird. Yeah. People are going to start asking questions, and I think that's going to lead back to like the exact system. Like, who does the system actually serve? And it's not that. Yeah.
0: Well, one hundred percent. I think that's that's a uh, a very good point to make. That obviously. With, with the wealth of information we have on this, there's always going to be people that um, to your to the the point you said earlier that there's always going to be people that see that, and there are just I mean, it's kind of the sort of willingly apolitical people on a lot of given issues that if it doesn't affect me directly or they don't perceive it as f- affecting them, even though it actually does, um, you know, they're they're not necessarily going to care about it or do anything about it. But there is a wealth of people. I think the average person, you know, I've, I speak to people all the time that aren't glued into. Uh, issues the same way i am or follow the same sort of media outlets that i do or things of that nature that when you do speak to them about that they go like wow that is extremely fucked up and then they look into it or then they you know you you can talk to them about it more and i think we're seeing a big rise in people that would have maybe just sort of been like you know viewing politics as an electoral apparatus right like you go vote um you know, every other year or every four years. And that's that's your contribute co- contribution to the political process where we're like more and more. in, in you know, in an in inadvertent way, Biden is and the Biden administration is really helping out with this for a lot of, um you know, liberal, younger liberal people, at the very least, that it's like you wake up and you go, oh, this is in this issue. There is no good. There is no one that has my basic opinion of humanity that is in power or attempting to get in power through the electoral process, and I think seeing things like the um, protests on Black Friday, which was awesome to see in the middle of all this, you know, co- you know consumerism chaos that happens every year, you have people doing that. I love seeing in New York uh, on Thursday for the Macy's Day Parade how many different instances there were people of just like disrupting the biggest parade in, in, in the United States yearly. Um, and, and just like continuing pressure that is just, I mean, if, you know, I, 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 read, um, some media that really covers things on the Hill, you know, in Washington, DC and just like staffers and de- democratic politicians, especially cause they're probably getting more phone calls are completely, um, flabbergasted by this entire, Experience they've had over the last six weeks, because for so long the main line has been that it's a vocal minority that are pro-Palestinian, um, anti-Israeli occupation, and and yet when it comes down to it, there was one reporting I saw that there was a you know a I think it might have even been Dick Durbin's office from Illinois that they had like 535 calls to one when it came to applying Palestinian pressure and that's why he was the first one that at least anecdotally called for a ceasefire right which just goes to show i think it shows people on a mainstream way that like other than voting which you know you and i can have our opinions on that process um but other than voting public pressure in the streets public pressure through you know har- harassing through phone calls or going to where people are at in restaurants or whatever else that are empowered that are supporting this and not letting them have piece on this for towing the mainstream line seeing that that can make a difference and we're we're kind of seeing that in the process now uh gradually too gradually um i think expounds how many people truly do care about this and will do something um uh that is sort of changing the narrative for not just the united states but but you know see things in the uk where there's over five hundred thousand protesters in a single day in london and all those kinds of things like Maybe there was as much of that effort in the anti-war movement in for, for Iraq in the mid-2000s, but I certainly was not exposed to it the way I am now. And it's just really, it's something that going back to what I said at the very beginning of how do you keep going when you're seeing the onslaught that's been going on is like that does give hope um, for, I think, going forward, what people will pay attention to, not just in Palestine, but in general when it comes to public pressure and looking at politics outside of this framework of electoralism. Uh, Do you, what what were your kind of thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're perfectly right in saying that Um, we're seeing very much the limitations of voting. I mean, what are you going to do when people are being bombed aerially over 40 days? Are you going to say, I can't wait until the next election to vote for the same guy to do it again? No, you're seeing the limitations of that. And we're seeing that, you know, if you decide to vote for the other guy, the same thing would have happened, probably even worse to some extent, or maybe in a different way. Um, and so we're seeing that both parties, of course, represent the same thing, which is the interest of the United States um, in its expansion, its territorial expansion, whether that's through you know, direct confrontation, using its own military, like how we saw in the Iraq invasion, or whether it's using one of its satellites, like Israel or even Ukraine, for example, as some might argue. And so, what's going to come down to is with anything, it's going to be public pressure. You, like we see Elizabeth Warren, who championed herself as a progressive, not being able to enjoy a dinner because people are, you know, demanding right to her face, hey, you need to do something. We see uh, Justin Trudeau, I can never get his last name right. Um, yeah. He's Canadian, so I don't really care. Um, <laughs> so, you see him sitting at a restaurant, you see people like, get it in his face to the point where he has to be escorted out. And I think here's where the term, like, you know, we go to protests and we scream, no justice, no peace. What does that mean? Um, that no justice, no peace. That's like that in the, in practice, right? No mm-hmm. politician, no business person, no corporation should be allowed to enjoy, enjoy any, any peace until there's justice. And the one thing about, you know, whether it's coordinated or not with protests is that you can expect more until like whatever is being demanded gets done, right? Uh, with the Macy's Day Parade, to my knowledge, those di- those were different organizations kind of intervening in-, in the parade. There was no coordinated effort. So we see people right. that don't even align shoulder to shoulder politically, you know, being able to see right from wrong. And it's getting to a point where even like conservatives, like famous conservative voices, like I don't know. If you know that mma fighter jake shields who i would on Mm -hmm. any other day typically disagree with this guy's been on like a tirade against israel because just the lack of humanity from the israeli regime against the palestinians has forced even some of the people that you know would typically be on the opposite side of the aisle or even not even like you know in the same aisle i would be in um, politically rather um step up It's, it's just inhumane it's getting to a point where the government is just clearly showing who they really represent, and that's the corporations, that is uh, the military-industrial complex, who has made billions and billions of dollars um, off off the aggression on on Gaza. And then you're also forced to kind of, you know, look into the question when people are saying ceasefire now, which you know the aggression on Ga- the end of aggression on Gaza is good. What does ceasefire even mean, though? Because the next day, you know, there's still violence in the West Bank. There's still there's there's still like you know the threat. of of bombings later on, there's still the entire idea that, not idea, but practice rather that, you know, Gaza is under siege. It's blockaded off from the rest of the world. Like I said earlier, there are some people on October 7th that left Gaza for the first day. And it doesn't really solve that question. So you have to, with anything, follow it to its logical conclusion. And I think that's going to be the next stage in this is where people are going to be asking, well, why is there an occupation? Why is this city besieged? Why don't they have these basic means? Why are there so many hospitals in this like, you know, small mile radius? And that's because the constant oppression that they face, it's its ridiculous. There's the, the inhumanity there has been all, conducted for far too long. And I think that's going to be the next stage and kind of what we see from the public pressure. You know, right now, you know, it's great that the public was able to get together and demand that, like, you know, some sort of ceasefire be happening some sort of truce but that ends in just a few days and then what and that's going to continue forward and forward and forward there's been a major palestinian protest in the united states every year for the last four years since since the initial aggression started well the initial bombing aggression started in 2019 and it's going okay. to continue and it's going to continue until the equation is solved and that equation being israeli occupation there's no way they're going to be able to continue this it's unsustainable their economy has lost billions and billions of dollars and they're asking the united states taxpayer to back it up and the the, the other side of that is the only way that they can have a successful occupation is the complete ethnic cleansing of palestinians so you have your decision there either allow for an entire people uh, an, an entire abor- like entire indigenous uh people to die or And the occupation. And that's the choice that people are going to be faced with um, maybe tomorrow, maybe in a few weeks. But it's a question that has to be answered. It's an equation that has to be solved.
0: Well, and to that point, you know, um, as of, you know, Friday, yesterday, from when we're recording this, um, you know, we're supposed they they said there is this four day ceasefire, you know, hostages from from both Hamas and and the Israeli government. Were exchanged, you know you can see videos of that and i would say you know i would say that's a that's a good thing just humanitarily and all those kinds of things but as i talked about in a just a little video i came up with yesterday morning when i saw this just pop up it was like within a couple of hours of a quote-unquote ceasefire um you know israeli ground forces were shooting up like they shot they opened fire to hundreds of palestinians trying to return to their homes um and at least two were killed. I'm sure I don't have the update information from that, as a lot of things are going on right now with the suppression of information at this point. But, um, you know, it just goes to show to your point, like I, I've been a person that, that's been calling for ceasefire. I think that's just something that humanitarily needs to happen. Right. But but there's there's a bigger picture here where, like, you know, uh, it's a lot of progressive or even generally liberal people in the West that that are principled to some fashion, you know, where we're, you know, Abhorred to see the fact that they were able to cut off electricity and water and all those different things um, as this, you know, escalation happened um, in, in early October. And, you know, I it's kind of in that same vein of like, yeah, it's good to put on pressure to turn that those things back on. But why do they have control of that in the first place? Or just the basic fact of like, in general, prior to this four years, you know, um, at least since I've been aware since 2018, you know. Ninety seven percent of water in Gaza is unusable, undrinkable. It makes people sick. So then people have to choose between drinking, you know, um, dirty water and getting like dysentery or getting, you know, h- horrific illness from it or like, you know, being being extremely thirsty or getting sick from that avenue, you know people talk about the tunnels for, for Hamas, right? It's like, and the other side of that is that they literally have to use those things at times to get food and necessary resources that they are denied because Israel themselves will talk about that. They're putting Gaza on a diet and restricting the amount of food that goes in there. And that's not something, you know, I've had to like hammer away at people. Like this is not something that started on October 7th. This has been going on for 75 years, has been escalated in recent decades. Um, we could talk about how Netanyahu's government and all that is in a lot of ways, the most right-wing fascist, openly fascist government in Israel, but it's not just Netanyahu and it's not just this current government. It's a, it's an ongoing, extremely, uh, you know, extremely abhorrent occupation in which like, you know, half the, half the population of Gaza are children. And why do you think that is? Cause people don't get to fucking live long there. Right. And, and all these different things um, to where like, you're right. Like like wanting a wanting a permanent ceasefire is a great fo- path forward. I don't know how realistic that is with what we see. Right. Like I call for that. Everybody wants that to happen just because you don't want to see more children buried in rubble and all those kinds of things. But what's the actual solution to that? And also for the Israeli side or people that are sympathetic to just Israeli civilians, which we could talk about that. I'm not going to go into detail too much there with with all of that in mind right now. But like if you want those people to be safe from from any from any further violence you end the cycle of violence by ending occupation and ending actual you know apartheid and and it's like i think people will hopefully as this continues see that bigger picture but at the very least right now it's great to see and and, and again in my view like one of the few optimistic things are things I can see is that more and more people that aren't just like invested in media the way you and I are that like probably read things that no one would even <laughs> think to look at that, that, you know, that they are having their eyes open and hopefully that continues into, um, into a continuing effort to, to have our tax dollars not back these things. Right. Um, so, so going going from that, just a few more things. I, I won't take too much more of your time on all of this, but I wanted to go into a few things that you you know we mentioned a little bit of the propaganda um, from from Israel and how like you know it isn't quite landing the way it it used to in the past. But there's another aspect of that that I think is interesting for people to hear that maybe isn't so um, isn't so obvious if you're just kind of looking at general mainstream media. But how how israel um, propaganda is not even most of the time really uh catered to israelis right or to in, in the essence of them putting up psas to palestinians not really catered to to people in gaza or the west bank um it's, it's catered to the united states or western audiences you can see that for things being blatantly put in english when you know it's definitely palestinians that's not a language a lot of people in gaza or the west bank speak Um, And in Israel, that's not the primary language of Israel either. So kind of speak to, you know, you wrote an article about how Israel regime designs its blatant lies for Western audiences. Um, Talk a little bit about we talked about this a little bit already, but but why is it so primary for this um, for this propaganda and for what they release to be catered to Western audiences as opposed to their own Israeli citizens?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, look at any video that uh, any IDF soldier is, you know, you know put, gets put on the state account, right? IDF soldier comes on the screen, he starts talking in English about, hey, we found this, hey, we found that, hey, we did this, um, here's a Hamas tunnel, here's a list of terrorist names, so on and so forth. Um, why are you talking in English? Who is this message for? And also, why do you feel the need to create this? Right. Why do you feel the need to show this? Why do you feel the need to just make it up? Um, And I think it just goes to show that, you know, it's designed for a Western audience. The West is the the West is the primary concern of of Israel because they need the West support in order to continue what they're doing. They need the West for the political reasons. They need the to to legitimize themselves. They need the West in order to conduct, uh, you know, their military contracts. They need the weapons to keep flowing in. They need the West money. They need the financial support in order to even operate as a state and it's it's clear that they're afraid of losing that narrative you have boxes of you know supposed medical items that say medical supplies in big big english letters you have idf soldiers making up stuff as they go only for them to delete a video and contradict themselves later on you have these claims that are all being made on israeli accounts in english um for stuff that you know is later on walked back and completely kind of deleted or omitted. And then they don't have any explanations for why they deleted it. They don't even have some sort of reissue. It's as if it was never there because they got community noted. If you go on the Israeli Twitter account right now, hopefully it's still there. um, They put out like Hamas.com saying this is their website. And someone actually tracked it down and said this is actually an Israeli government website that they created. By the way, it also has phishing and malware on it. And so what they're trying to do is basically control the narrative. Um, there's a gigantic narrative that's being proven to be true um, by the people of Palestine themselves, which is like, you know, the constant bombings, the how they live under occupation. And the West is obviously asking questions about like, hey, why are we funding this? So Israel has to go on the defensive. Nothing it's doing is is coming from a place of actual authenticity. It's trying to create its own kind of web of lies so that, Anytime you go against Israel, they'll have something to say like, oh, actually, there's tunnels underneath here. But, for example, with Al-Shifa uh, Hospital, they're like, oh, we discovered these tunnels. We discovered this bunker. OK, let's follow that to its logical conclusion. You were actually in Al-Shifa Hospital in the 1980s during one of the other wars you started. And you built these bunkers. You actually set it yourself. Um, so any context there? They're like, oh, well, there's, there's toilets and like things here that like you know show that people have been living there. Yeah. What kind of hospital doesn't have toilets? Right. Yeah. Ridiculous. All their lies are just basically created and curated for the Western audience that needs to be told how to think and what to think. And without that, they have nothing because without that, then there's this clear illustration of an asymmetrical warfare campaign being done on people who can't even have access to clean water and they desperately need to keep lying and need to keep putting lies on top of lies, but it's backfiring immensely because people are able to see right clearly. Like, you know, they're walking it back. They're being called out. There's, you know, there's contradictions in what they're saying. It's not adding up. And so it's backfiring because how long can you continue lying to people? You you can't, Uh it's impossible. Um, People will catch on, especially Palestinians who are already there and are showing you like, Hey, you know, they claim to be like, you know, treating us right but they're actually shooting us they're stealing bodies out of the hospital and then they're showing these bodies on their own instagram saying this is how this is how the october 7th attack happened those are like clearly palestinian bodies it's it's super messed up it's a complete campaign of lies that's designed only for westerners so that they can continue getting western support so that they can continue this ethnic cleansing of palestinians
0: yeah, and to to that point again talking a little bit about the laziness of this as well as it being catered to western audiences, uh I believe it was Al-Shifa Hospital. It might have been one of the different ones that they infiltrated and bombed. You know, it's hard to keep tra- track of what you see, but uh I think it was that hospital when they infiltrated and they pointed to um you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. They pointed to the calendar on the wall and they're like, these are names. This is, you know, all." and then and they're expecting Western because it's being spoken in English or at least being uh, dubbed in English. They're they're expecting people to not read it because it's in, you know, it's it's not in an English print. And then, but then the 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 great thing about international social media is then instantly people are like, well, actually, that just says days of the week and people's names that work there because it's a hospital and people get assigned where they go on a given. It's 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 a work schedule, you know. And they had to delete that, and then they had to blur that, I think. And then there was another one where they pulled up a laptop and they they said uh, they were like, oh, look, this is like a Hamas and and then it was like a picture of the IDF soldier was like on the was like on the desktop screen or it was clear that it was the IDF soldiers laptop. They had pulled out for an op and then they had to delete that and re-upload it to blur that. And it's, you know, or, or they, they said they infiltrate and it, it reminded me, I saw this on, on, uh, twitter with what they were showing like their loot was and it was like 10 rifles and you saw a, a box of dates you know and and uh someone was like it reminds me of this and they share the pictures of like the cops with like a little bag of marijuana standing there with like their hands on their guns it's like the exact same thing where it's like such lazy propaganda that you just get they get you know obliterated in the rhetoric they delete it and then they pull it back up or reframe it or whatever else to try to to try to you know save face with something that even though they're catering it to american audiences or western audiences that speak english they're failing at that right because unlike before and this is something that i had read from a from a journalist i like to follow rania Akalik, that she had shared where where um there's a thread that she showed why israeli propaganda is so bad now and it's just and it's just you know like you said earlier from primary uh on the ground resources as opposed to what they're saying also just like the level of of effort they're putting into it is not there because they've had it so good for so long that they're ju- they were just not prepared for a new era of of this conflict and also er, com- uh, of this occupation and also a new era of propaganda fact checking to where like what even worked for them in the past? Maybe they tried a little harder there. I don't know. But it's also just like a, a new era of information that they were just not ready to to assimilate to. Right.
1: Yeah. Also, you have to take into consideration the fact that when they conduct their most horrific bombings, they cut off the Internet. That's for a reason, because what they're doing is like clearly targeting civilian areas. Right. They're clearly targeting civilian targets. Um, When their first ground invasion first began, they cut off the Internet for like, what was it, like 16 hours? Mm -hmm. Uh, They understand that, you know, citizen journalism in Elon Musk's own words is pretty powerful. Um, and it's going to backfire for people that, especially like the free speech absolutists that are like Zionists, um, it's going to backfire because your side is the occupier. So you're going, what you're going to see from the other side is the crimes of occupation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it, it's, it's worth noting that every time that they kind of cut off the internet, we see the most horrific crimes possible. And then also, you have to also kind of think about um, when they do have internet, right? I mean, it's just clear that there's an ethnic cleansing happening. And then they try to kind of come out from their side and say, oh, well, they brought it upon themselves. This is what they get when they elect Hamas, uh, so on and so forth. So no matter what you say to them, you're either wrong, you're misinformed, you're an- and then if, n- if nothing else works out, you're anti-Semitic. So in their side, no matter what, Israel will always be right. Uh, there's no going against this thing. They're not willing to hear you out. And to that point – this is an occupying force. There's no, there's no talking to them. There's no real negotiation with them. And I think a lot of people have to understand that, that there's no negotiation with them. Not really, because this is a side that is inching in on every single part of, of Palestine. It's also threatening to expand. So once, once it's taken care of the Palestinians, then it's going to look north. It's going to look towards Lebanon. It's going to look eastward. It's going to look towards even Jordan. It's going to—it's already looking towards Syria. It's occupying the Golan Heights. And it's definitely mm-hmm. going to try to establish control of, of the Sinai Peninsula because as we speak right now, the Yemenis have actually within the last few hours taken another ship. And so another one. You know, God oh, bless man. the Yemenis for doing that. But all this to say that this is, they're threatening to grow, and they need to justify this extermination of Palestinians before they can grow anywhere else because – then they'll actually justify everything that Palestinians have been saying for the last 75 years. And so if, if, if they kind of conduct this genocide and they're successful in it, which they won't be, then we'll, we're going to see the actual even truer face of Israel, which is going to become an expansive occupying force. And I don't think um, the world wants to see that. And I think we can definitely expect a regional war if it does ever come to that, which I don't think it will.
0: Yeah. Um, And I, yeah, I, that was something I was going to mention earlier is the, the first, um, you know, uh, Yemeni overtaking of an Israel ship. I was like, God damn, that is just one impressive and, and a great solidarity to, to Gaza and the Palestinians. And also just for Yemen, especially, you know, we could talk about Western, um, Western influence. And up until this point, you know, with, with the ongoing onslaught there, like, of course, there's solidarity there, amongst other things, because that was prior to this recent escalation post-October 7th. You want to talk about the worst humanitarian crisis in the world, also backed by the United States and with U.S. bombs like it. It, it doesn't take a you know, it doesn't take a foreign policy expert to see why some of these other countries, not just Yemen, but Lebanon. Um, a lot You know, there's also a deep, rich history there of solidarity. But I mean, even in the modern Era, it's like these people are also bombing us. You know, these people are dropping phosphorus on Lebanon. These people are dropping, you know, like this government is is doing, you know, this government, the U.S. government and, you know, U.S. allies have been doing this to these countries for decades. So it's like, what do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? That's that's kind of the point of that I've been trying to make to people is like, what do you, what did you expect people to do? Like, like kneel down and die silently? Like, is that what you that's exactly
1: what they expect people to do?
0: That's yeah, why they want which to control is like the
1: media. That's why they want to insist and make up all these lies because it's it's best if everybody just looks the other way,
0: right? Yep, and and I think it just also shows that like, you know, the the Western you know for back lack of a better word the Western like geopolitical machine like just doesn't just doesn't realize like blowback just never is on their radar for what happens like it's truly astonishing in a historical context you know that's what
1: happens when you're driven by like you know profit motives that are only really quarter to quarter it's not really built on anything lasting it's like are you going to meet your profits this quarter because if you don't everything is based on speculation in the united states and the only thing that drives speculation is the quarters that you have now which is going to impact the decisions based off speculation that you'll make for the next quarter. So, of course, it's never going to be thought through because they're obsessed with corporate profits. And if those poor corporate profits ever come down, then everything is going to come down crashing because you have you have no production to show for it. You only have speculation. And that's why all these decisions that we think are just absolutely stupid to them. It's actually completely um, it's it's completely logical because their logic is fine tuned to corporate profits while our logic is You know, as people that have to live paycheck to paycheck, um, ironically, is based off, you know, stability, sustainability. Do we have enough to make it into the next few months? Do I have enough to make it into retirement? Right now, that answer is no. (laughs) But for them, they're not thinking about this. They have to, you know, impress the investors now, no matter how hard the blowback will be later. And then when the blowback does eventually happen, hopefully those investors have created new death machines to contain that blowback that's how it works
0: yeah absolutely and i think again just uh you know it's it's something to keep in mind that that you know resistance internationally is is according to the u.n right like which we we could get into another whole conversation about their inability at this time but but according to the u.n this is justified also according to the u.n you know uh, definitions this you know for people that say calling this a genocide for example in Gaza is is flagrant or false by the definitions of the UN you know it fits three i forget what the different details are but three out of the five um uh instruments that have to be you know accounted for in this to 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 consider it a genocide so even by UN standards this is a genocide right um also something i meant to mention just a little bit ago that i'm sorry i i, I will will stop here in just a few minutes here but You know, people, um, Israel or, you know, Zionists in the United States, Christian Zionists and all these kind of things will talk about, you know, Hamas is a terrorist organization, Hamas is a terrorist organization, all those kinds of things. And we could get into the details of that. But you take that and put that aside, you know, um, uh, explain the West Bank to me right now, because it's like over 15 villages have been ethnically cleansed. People are getting murdered there. Um, You know, settler, you know, settlers are able to put in what are supposed to be illegal settlements, even according to Israel law um, there and instantly guarded by IDF. And then they just kill people that want to resist that with, you know, even peaceful um, resistance or armed resistance. Um, And that's just something that's been eye opening for me that since October 7th, even. and, And this is a couple of weeks old, so I'm sure it's even more. But over 15 villages have just been eradicated um in the west bank and it's like what is the justifi- justification for that other than a settler colonial illegal project under international law and even supposedly under israel law you know it's just absolutely nuts
1: yeah i think with the un question it's it's interesting because outside of like humanitarian crises crises the un actually does some good things like provide like healthcare and food and like um like educational services. But of course that comes with this restrictions too. But I think we're seeing the, the irrelevance of the UN and especially the UNSC as, as a body that's capable of doing anything because you, know, you have the United States who's a permanent member of the UNSC who wouldn't pass a ceasefire resolution because the resolution didn't condemn Hamas. But that's really interesting because the United States, England, uh, the European Union, and I think Japan are the only countries that recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization. The global majority of people are either, you know, see them as a, of, of, of a legitimate political body or they don't see them as anything, They're, especially not as terrorists. So the UN, in and of itself, doesn't even represent the global majority. Uh, it represents uh, basically who won World War II, um, which is some of the allied forces. Um, and, and now, even that political positioning is completely irrelevant. Because one of them completely, or at least a few of them, the United States, France, and England, always seem to get in the way of actual uh, you know, adoptions of ceasefire. It's, it's not a body that's actually designed to intervene in things that are you know, humanitarian crises, um, it, it, and it's never going to be. And, and it's slow to act. Uh, we're like 40-plus you know, days in, but some, some might tell you that we're 75-plus years in. And that also goes on to say that the, that the settlements – uh, that are being created, the legal settlements have actually been condemned by UN resolutions. They've been like you know voted on by all countries. Uh, to my knowledge, Israel has violated sixty-five uh, UN resolutions since its creation. Um, so even if a resolution is passed through the UNSC um, about Israel that kind of you know restricts Israel's hands, um, does it really? Is it, is it going to be the sixty-sixth resolution that they ignore? So the UN. SC and the U.N. itself, when it comes to things like this, it's, it's completely irrelevant. It's, it's only a, it's only a political gest- gesture. It's only a show of, you know, political theater. I think with things like, you know, an economic alliance like BRICS, even though it has members that are friendly to Israel, are going to start showing new equations and what can actually be done, because, for example, if BRICS is able to even restrict um, some economic access to Israel, that's going to hurt it a lot. It's a very fragile state. It relies on us taxpayers to actually exist if you know even if three-fifths of BRICS decide to cut off trade from israel that's a deadly blow and so i think new countries are going to have to step up and create a different paradigm of leadership because the unsc is irrelevant it doesn't do anything it's not designed to it's designed to just be a show of force it's designed to capitulate uh whenever it can to basically the whims of the united states and its client nations, and I think within the few de- next few decades, we'll either see a reordering of the UNSC or just see it be completely, you know, thrown into the dustbin of history.
0: Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And and you know, t- to your point, yeah, I I wasn't meaning to say there's nothing good that comes from the UN. There are a lot of benefits that happen in in areas that really need assistance and in, in various, uh, you know, there's been you know there's some some good work that they've done in in gaza with like u.n schools and different things like that and trying to make sure there's some some sort i mean the bar is so low here with what i'm saying but but you know doing something in there knowing that this is a humanitarian crisis but just not not being able to rise to the top because you like you said it's not even that there aren't good people or good well-intentioned organizations within the u.n it's that it's toothless because of the u.s's veto power and so many different things and everything in between um but uh, yeah, the 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 bricks thing, which is another article you wrote, I'll put all these links in the description too for anybody that wants to check it out. Shabir um, details how BRICS is is you know with with a recent meeting that they had, um, you know, the power that they may have to to help, di- you know, in 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 a sense like diplomatically, um, and you know, and the occupation – or at least put pressure on Israel um, through through what what hits what hits right, it, like you said, a fragile state that needs needs the, the, the funding from the United States and also all these different uh, um, business inter- interactions with these different countries. Um, and that is something, again, to, to point to is as, as optimism. No matter what you think, no matter what somebody thinks it's hearing this about whatever countries are in this organization, we could have a whole other conversation about that. Um, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is having a separate entity that can actually apply pressure in this moment where another one that is sort of the staple um, is toothless is is hopefully something that can help out and, and uh bet things into the right direction. Um uh last question, and then I'll just have you plug where people can find you, find some of your different articles, all those kinds of things. Um people hear this, I this is the same thing I had with the last conversation I had about this um topic. Uh what do you think people that that are newly invested into the, this, um, the reality of this situation with Gaza, the West Bank and Israel um, that feel very disillusioned with the electoral process or with what they're seeing through mainstream media and, you know, really kind of having their eyes open to this. Um, What do you think are some things those people can do that are constructive to, to help out in the situation um, to be more, you know, to, to, to play, I guess, to do their part in what they can um, if they really care about this.
1: Yeah. I'm just going to say listen to Palestinian leadership because even, you know, in Palestinian leadership of resistance factions speeches, they actually address people in the West. They say like, you know, things like, you know, the protests are great. We love seeing it, things like that. And then if you actually go to the protests themselves, I would say listen to Palestinian leadership. There's going to be a lot of, you know, different political parties that are going to try to use this movement moment opportunistically, you know, to capture an audience for their own, you know, selfish gains just listen to the Palestinian leadership. Uh, they're the b- best ones, they're equipped enough to tell you, you know, this is the occupation. This is this is our orientation towards it. These are the solutions possible. This is what we should be, you know, kind of, you know, kind of chasing towards and fighting towards. Um, so I would not get bogged down by any, you know, particular influencer or organization. Um, I would listen specifically to the axis of the resistance, as we call it, which is the different Palestinian factions and regional factions um, that are fighting colonialism and imperialism, I would take their word for it as they are you know, kind of the people being subjected to this. And then I would listen to the people here locally, uh, Palestinian resistance and organizers specifically, um, and make sure that they're actually tied to an organization, uh, for example, like USPCN and not just people that are trying to sell you a book or something like that.
0: Yeah. And again, I think, you know, I think that is a, a great and simple point to be made is that like, you know, shocker, the people that you should listen to are the people that are being oppressed in this situation. Right. It's not rocket science, this stuff, you know, um, and, uh, you know, because I, 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 I get even people that I think mean well and like left wing media or, you know, socialist media or socialist organizations that mean well. Um, I don't think it's always bad intention intention, but like they'll have this debate on like what the best approach is to end this or what is the you know, what is the solution here? And it's like uh, ask the people, you know, because you, you, or, you or I may have our own opinions and what we think like the best forward post and you know, how you end an occupation or, or what a state would look like in that scenario. But it's like that is up to the people that live there and you should listen to what they need and what they want out of this right i think that's just the whole reason
1: that we're here is because people that weren't related to the equation pushed themselves into the equation and that's how zionism was formed
0: right right yeah so fantastic point to end on there and then shabir just uh plug where people can can follow you can find your work and and all those good things
1: you can follow me on x formerly known as twitter uh at abolish nato one word
0: Perfect. All right. Uh, Thanks so much. And uh, I appreciate you coming on with me to kind of give people that might be less politically inclined a little bit of a a breakdown on this topic. So I really appreciate your time, man.
1: Yeah, no problem. Appreciate yours and uh, have a great Saturday.
0: Yeah, you too.